Three of our four Gospels are grouped together and known as the Synoptics. These three are grouped together to distinguish them from our fourth Gospel, the Gospel of John. So why is John so different? And why is John unlike the rest of the Gospels? That's what we'll be taking a look at today. There was actually a debate as to whether the Gospel of John should be included in the Bible. Its style was so different from our other three Gospels that many didn't want it to be included. But before we can get into the story of John, it'd be very helpful to take a look at how we got all the Gospels. Can you name all the Gospels, George? Luke, John, Matthew, Mark. Not the order anyone lists them in, but you got them. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But yes, oh, you, you, oh that you, is, you, I forgot there is an order. There, well, we're gonna. Is, that, wait, is the order that people list them in the order that it's in the? Yes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the order that they're listed. It's not the order that they are written. In. Oh, yeah. So in order to get to that, though, we got to look at how we got the Gospels. When I listed them, did I get the right order? No. Okay. So when it comes to uh, the organization and the writing of the Gospels, there's, there's really two main schools of thought. The first is that there's an early authorship theory on the Gospels. This takes a more literal approach to the authorship. The more literal authorship approach says that Matthew and John were written by two of the 12 apostles, and Luke and Mark were written by the people named Luke and Mark that we hear about in the New Testament letters. They never claimed to be apostles. It's thought that they were they worked with the apostles. Mark is thought to be the translator of Peter, and Luke was a, a companion of Paul, but they don't claim to be eyewitnesses. In fact, Luke makes a special kind of emphasis that he wasn't a eyewitness, but kind of gathered the stories. And so this, this idea of kind of a literal, there was four guys who wrote these four Gospels, that's a perfectly acceptable theory. You're, you can be a Catholic in good standing whether you believe this theory or you don't. Proponents who argue for this theory will give a much earlier dating of the Gospels, right? Because all these, these four guys were contemporaries of Jesus, and so they must have written these 40 AD, 50, 60 AD, typically all before the fall of the Second Temple, which happened in 70 CE. So that's, that's the more literal, it's got a shorter time period. The more scholarly consensus, though, is this kind of what I call the communal authorship approach. The event happens. There were witnesses of the life of Jesus as these historical events happened. They remembered these stories after seeing them, and then they shared these stories. Eventually, these communities would form, right? After Jesus dies, rises, and ascends to heaven, the apostles, we know, form different churches and different communities and people become followers of these apostles. And so these communities would be formed. Perhaps it started by the historical people. You know, there was a, a Matthew community, a Mathenian community, a, a Markian community, a Joannine community, and a Lucian community, right? So these these guys would have started these he's communities, right? And then as the original eyewitnesses, whether it be the actual Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or people that were part of this community, as they would grow older, it, it became important to write down the story. And that's where the evangelists come in. So we say Matthew is you know, an evangelist, but it might not have been the historical Matthew who actually wrote the stories down. But it was the Matthew group. It was, yes, the Matthew, the community. And according to the Matthew group, this is the story. Eventually just got turned into, well, according to Matthew. Yeah, okay. right. Yeah, so like there's you know, a community that maybe started following the historic St. Matthew. And these may be where the stories Matthew shared with them, yeah. but it's probably not Matthew himself who penned the paper, wrote the whole thing. And what's important to understand about this approach is that the Gospels are all still relatively early. 
with the final gospel, the Gospel of John that we'll be studying today, being finished between 100-125 CE. That's even with this more communal approach to the writing. And what some will also claim is that, you know, the gospels kind of came together and someone just slapped a name on them. Know, of a famous Christian person. And this was perfectly acceptable in the in the ancient world. You would kind of have this story and it's like, oh, Joe Schmo wrote it. No one's going to believe it. But if I stick Luke on there, credibility. And so some will argue that with the Gospels. I think it's much more likely that the Gospels came from these communities inspired by these Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And maybe John. We'll see. John's a little bit of an interesting case. We'll talk about that later. I really do think that the Gospels come from these communities founded by these historic people. With this later process, it's it's a longer period, right? It's not just one guy witnesses and writes it down, but it's the story that's brought to the community and the community reflecting on it. And then, oh no, we got to write this down before all of the witnesses get too old. Even though you said, John, that's the latest one. Yes. 100-something years is still a reasonable enough time that maybe you know, grandkids or great-grandkids of somebody could have heard the story and written it down. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how we, you know, we talk a lot about the Old Testament. That's how the Old Testament was passed right. down from generation to generation. And then they're like, we got to write it down. Um, you know, we see textual evidence of the Gospels pretty early on. So we know, you know, it wasn't passed down super long if it was written down. And so, again, we're going to get to John's meat and potatoes here, but you can't really understand John without the synoptics, the other three Gospels. So we're going to focus on these first three Gospels. And the, the theory that kind of talks about their origin is called the two-source theory. It, it goes like this. Mark is the oldest Gospel. And that makes sense, right? Because Mark is it's the shortest. Uh, Mark has the least amount of chapters. If you're reading a story from Mark, it's usually pretty clear cut. Jesus came, he did this, he said this, and we move on to the next story. It's then proposed, according to this two-source theory, that Matthew and Luke were aware of Mark's writings. And they used those as kind of a source material to write their own Gospels. So the Matthew, the Mathenian community, the Lukean community, were aware that this Gospel of Mark was around. They may have read it, they may have known stories from it, and they brought that to their community as well and then wrote their own versions of it. So Mark is the first source, and the second source is called the Q source. And Q is just the first word for source in German. Why is it all German? Oh, good question. Modern biblical scholarship really flourished in Germany, oh. um, especially after World War II. It really took off, and we actually can thank uh, a lot of our Lutheran scholars for really putting kind of historical and critical methods of studying, which is where we get a lot of these sources from. And of course, there were wonderful Catholic theologians from, from Germany as well studying the Bible. But Germany was really, for a while, kind of the the, the hub of biblical scholarship. Lutheran biblical scholarship. Lutheran and Catholic. Too. There, were, there were a lot of prestigious Catholic biblical schools over in Germany as well, and, and still are, especially around the kind of World War II, Vatican II area. German and, and like Swedish and all those reformed countries that had seen a resurgence in Catholic scholarship as well hmm. being the powerhouses so yes a lot of biblical terms have german connotations with them interesting yes and it also happens one of my favorite theologians carl rauner is german too so i pull a lot of his resources in so and and of course pope benedict cardinal ratzinger right yeah he's uh, contributed a lot to our scholarship too so uh, germany really always has been a big powerhouse in theology between Mark and this theorized Q source, we don't have a literal Q source, but this is the hypothesis. 
we see a remarkable overlap with Matthew and Luke in the content they cover, right? So these three Gospels cover a lot of the same stories. Then Matthew and Luke would add information, which is more applicable to the audiences, right? So each of these communities have a different makeup of who's in them and have different stories that they really cling to and focus on. And so maybe they would be adding additional material that was only known to that community, right? Going back to the eyewitnesses, their eyewitnesses remembered something, a different detail or something, or there are stories that are exclusive to Matthew and exclusive to Luke as well. The important thing here is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all written with the same base material. And then there's John. While there is some evidence that John was familiar with Luke, the majority of the stories in John do not overlap with the synoptics. For instance, Jesus' ministry is really portrayed over the course of one year's time frame, when in John, it takes place over three years. John also doesn't feature any parables, has several stories unique just to John. Even with this community authorship approach, the Gospels all have a relatively early dates. What I tend to stick with is Mark written around 70 CE, a little plus or minus, Matthew and Luke coming in around 85 CE, and then John is between 90 CE, possibly up to just over 100 CE. While those are all fairly close together, it's still very important where these all fall. And that's because of the important event that happened in 70 CE. In 70 CE, the temple, which was the center of Jewish religious worship, was destroyed when the Romans seized and destroyed Jerusalem. After the temple's destruction, I meant for the Jews, which includes all of the Christians at this point, right? Because they're not really two different distinct religions yet. Have to rethink how they're going to live out their religious life without the temple. So while there might not have been a whole lot of years between our last three Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, every year after the destruction of the temple mattered. There was so much transformation happening in everyday Jewish life. It's no surprise that the Gospel of John is addressing a much different reality than that of the communities only a few years prior. What about the authorship? So who wrote John? And this is where I'm going to warn you. It gets a little confusing with names, but we're going we're gonna to do our best here. So the traditional author of the Gospel of John is credited with John the Apostle, right? There are 12 apostles. They're the main followers of Jesus during his life. So that's kind of the traditional who we think John is. We hear his name mentioned in, in all the Gospels, typically with his brother James and John. James and John, we hear them mentioned in all four of the Gospels. And we know that John is, is given special status, right? We'll hear a lot of times that Peter, James, and John were taken for special kind of parts of Jesus' ministry. They go up the Mount of Transfiguration. They're taken to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with Jesus. They're kind of seen as Jesus' like closest apostles. However, in the Gospel of John, the author only refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's the, kind of the key the author says that this is me right here. And in the final chapter of John, he mentions that James and John are present, which is a bit odd because just a couple verses later, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so in all the Gospels, you know, in John, out of all the Gospels, it seems to be like the beloved disciples saying he's not John. Mm. He always refers to himself as the beloved disciple. And he's like, oh, and James and John are here too. So it sort of suggests that it's not John. In the Gospel of John itself, it, it seems to suggest that. So, so how do we get this connection, though, between John the Apostle and the Gospel? Well, it has to go back to this debate about whether John should be in the Bible. One of the early church fathers, Irenaeus, who was a champion of John's Gospel, connected John the Apostle with the author of the book of John. And the thought process was that this book was written by an apostle, then there'd be no need to doubt whether it should be in the Bible 
To make matters more confusing, there was also a famous early Christian figure named John the Presbyter, who many associated with John the son of Zebedee, i.e. John the Apostle. So there's this John that we know outside of the Gospels, who I think was famous in like Asia Minor, and people associated that John with John the Apostle. So you're seeing we're getting a little confusing with all these Johns here, right? It's thought that this John the Presbyter might have been the author also of the Book of Revelation. Because the Book of Revelation, clearly the author calls himself John, but he doesn't claim to be an apostle or a beloved disciple. Oh. <laughs> you see why all, figuring all this out was, er, was confusing. Very confusing. All the way back in the 3rd century CE, we have another church father, Eusebius, who's commenting on this difficulty, saying there's these Johns, and he thinks that there's a authorship confusion here as well. Again, it's not a foregone conclusion that the author of John was John the Apostle. One of the modern theories that I really find interesting was posed by the uh, biblical scholar Raymond Brown, who proposed that the beloved disciple was really the Joannine community, right? This community of, of believers inserting themselves into the story, which is kind of interesting. Oh. And again, this is not something that's foreign to literature, you know, kind of inserting yourself into the story. You know, the closeness that Jesus shows to the disciple whom he loved is the same closeness that this community is called to follow Jesus and love Jesus, you know, even after Jesus's ascension. That are still called to be close to him and to love him, as emphasized by the beloved disciple in the story. The authorship of John, not as clear-cut as we think. Maybe it's all the people named John. And they all got <laughs> they all together. together. And they said, you know what, forget it. Let's all just write one book all together, and we'll call it the Gospel of John. The last background area to give us our introduction to the Gospel of John is the location. So each of our Gospels kind of have a location that we track them to. For instance, Mark is theorized to be written for the community in Rome. And John is thought to be written through a community that was expelled from the Jerusalem area and possibly went to Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And this would explain some of the stories in John that focus on Jesus being expelled from the temple, because that might have been reflecting what happened to that early Christian community. It's also speculated, too, that the Joannine community had a large connection to the uh, Samaritans. There might have been a lot of Samaritan Christians in this. That's because the Samaritans play a large role in John's Gospel, more so than any of the other Gospels. For why this is important... See our first episode on Bible commentaries, the greatest Bible story you've never heard of. And the last possible kind of location connection with John is with the Essene community. There are different groups of Jewish faithful in the first century. We know in scripture we hear of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Another one of those major sects was the Essenes. And they're a very interesting group and we're definitely going to do like a whole episode on them later. Suffice to say, they're kind of this very, I guess you could call them eccentric, very radical, wanting to live out in the desert away from the corruption of the big city and want to revert back to the strict days of, of Jewish law and following. Yeah, we'll do a whole episode because they're, they're a very unique community. The background for John is just so different than the other three. And the timing of it, again, shows why it's so different. And, and again, John has so many unique, unique stories. The beginning of John, in the beginning was the word. And the word was God. It gives this beautiful, very poetic and kind of wisdom literature sounding opening. It's meant to actually mimic the story of creation. And it's something we see nowhere else in the scriptures, you know, outside of of Genesis. Also in John, Jesus is very aware of everything that's going to happen. Nothing catches him by surprise. He's very in control. Even his death on the cross, he seems to be completely in control of it. And that's because John has a very well-developed idea of Christology, which is just a reflection on who 
Christ is. The community had more time to think about what it meant for Jesus to be God, right? Because in the early days of the church, there was still a debate of, is Jesus really God and really man? And so we see those extra years of authorship that it took to write John, this idea of, of Christ's divinity really flourishing and really developing. There's lots of other peculiarities, but perhaps my most favorite one of John, which sets the part from the Synoptic Gospels, is that it has a realized eschatology to it. And we'll be doing an episode on eschatology, but in the short time is the first three Gospels, there's a sense that the end of the world will be coming in the near future. Like Jesus is going to return, he's ascended to heaven, he's going to come back, the world's going to be judged, world's over. That's kind of the thought in the first three Gospels. John puts us in the end times right here and right now. That this coming glory and this coming reign of God that all the Gospels portray is something that's already happening in our present time. That's something that's very prominent in the Johannine reflection on, on Jesus' Gospel. It's a realized eschatology. We'll be talking a lot more about that in a future episode. And if we just read the Synoptic Gospels or we just read John, it would give us a much different picture of Jesus. And that's not a bad thing. Each community brought its lived experience into its writings. And it's this reflection on Jesus which gives us a much fuller image. It was the wisdom of the church which included the Gospel of John because it too gives us a much needed peace in discovering who Jesus is. I'll tell you, George, when I first really started getting more into biblical studies and just diving into scripture more, I really didn't like the Gospel of John. Because it just seemed like, you know, the other three Gospels are like, oh, Jesus did this and he did this. And it seems so much more like cut and dry, cut and dry and tangible. And then John's like, Jesus is the word and the word is with us since from the beginning. And it's like this really like high theology. And it took me like doing a whole class on the Gospel of John to really see the beauty of the scripture um, and to see that none of the gospel writers are lazy, but but John in particular is planting these themes and growing them throughout the entire gospel. These seeds sown at the beginning of it bear beautiful fruit, not just from what actually happened, the historical stuff, but even from a literary standpoint, it makes a beautiful full picture read. And so while John can be hard to dive into, if you get a little bit of the background of it and see what John's doing, it leads to a very fruitful and beautiful read. And so this is another one of our um, how to read scripture like a scholar episodes. Yeah, it's pretty interesting you should say that. The book which I recommended you read, How to Read Literature oh, like a Professor. Yes. As far as I recall, there's a section talking about these parallel sentence structures where you'd have, you would you would maybe allude to another work by saying, say, for example, I was writing Lord of the Flies, and I wanted people to associate one of my characters with Jesus. I would use a lot of language that the Gospels use about Jesus when I was describing this character in my book. The beginning of John, mm-hmm. like we had mentioned, is a parallel sentence. It's almost the same sentence as the beginning of Genesis. Genesis. Yes. Very much well-crafted, purposefully alluding to Genesis. Yes. And it, it seems like... Well, and, and John is chock full of that. So Jesus' first miracle in John is the wedding of Cana, when he turns water into wine. And we have at the end of the gospel, when Jesus is, towards the end of the gospel, when Jesus is crucified, uh, blood and water come from his side. Okay. And the person who witnesses both those miracles is Mary. It's actually when we hear, the two times we hear her in the Gospels, at the wedding of Cana, and at the end, when she's at the cross. And so John is, like I said, if you if you really want to be like, man, the Bible, I mean, the Bible is cool on its own. But if you really want to be like just astounded by why the Bible is a great literary book in general, study John and look for these parallelisms, because John is just chock full of them. 
and they exist in the other gospels too, but I think John is just the most developed, again, because it had the most time to develop. Even the, the language used in John is almost like a more developed Greek than the other three gospels because it had more time to write and refine. If you are interested in studying the Gospel of John, we'll have some great links in the show notes for today's episode. As always, you can get much more information at mattkresich.com. We have special gifts, as always, for our Patreon subscribers. They really help keep the show going. So if you want to be a subscriber for every episode, we post a, a kind of an annotated script that has footnotes to what we do. And a new thing we just decided to add is because George and I have some fun, witty banter always after the show's over. So if you want to be privy to that fun, witty banter, right, George? Isn't it worth the five bucks a month? It's worth ten. Ten bucks. Yeah, we're giving it to you for five bucks a month. Yeah. So if you want that, plus we give you, uh, we take episode suggestions on Patreon, let you vote on some upcoming episodes. Please consider uh, subscribing us on Patreon, like and comments. And until next time, cast into the deep and dive into the mystery. Mm